Welcome to Hort Culture, where a group of extension professionals and plant people talk about the business, production, and joy of planting seeds and helping them grow. Join us as we explore the culture of horticulture. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to a in-person live version of Hort Culture Podcast. And you heard me right. We're all sitting in the same room. I'm actually... Very, very close to all these gentlemen right now trying to get... We've had a lot of caffeine. (laughs) So this is a recipe for even more of a disaster than we sometimes involve ourselves There is dying Mountain Dew involved in this podcast. Very close. Some might say too close. (laughs) To the edge. (laughs) Very close. (laughs) So awesome. Well, we are talking about... Well, this this is a Josh-centric episode today. So no um, pressure, John. Yeah, no, no pressure. No pressure. Um, and this, I get to play the um, dummy who gets to ask questions. Like I don't know what's going on, so I'm really excited That's about correct. that. Honestly, <laughs> you, you're playing the dummy. P- playing got the it. dummy. I mean, I got to give him something, right? To Noted. So, Josh, what are we chatting about today? Uh, the ecosystem services of landscape plants, which is a lot of big words. Tell me more. That's correct. Well. Plants do things for us. What? No. <laughs> and beyond even I just landscapes were just supposed to look pretty. I mean, isn't that what it's all about? They do look pretty, but they can do other things for us as well. Things just like besides. just like you, Josh. You're not just here to look pretty. Right. Although that is Let's most of what I do. <laughs> <laughs> yes, no, plants can do things. They can clean our air. They can moderate the temperature around us. Every, everything within that realm of ecosystem services fits into these different categories, right? But you, before we even jump into that, maybe like on the landscape, when you're talking about landscape plants versus what, as opposed to what? Agricultural plants? Yeah, crops. like, like, a wild, like oh, wild forests. Oh, I thought you were going like the hardscape and softscape route. Oh, landscape no, not yet. No, I'm not gotcha, even going gotcha, that. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. I get where you're going with this. Yeah, the term that I've heard used that I started repeating once I heard it was the built environment, the mm-hmm. area where humans live and create their own habitats for activity and recreation. So these are the places where we put plants specifically on purpose. And what do they do for us in those places? So it could be like along in, in a city park, mm-hmm. but it could also be along streets. Right. It could be in people's yards. Yeah. It could be around their houses. It could be around buildings, you know, businesses or mm-hmm. libraries or whatever. Right. The curb cut in front Just of McDonald's. In general, we're talking about those. <laughs> yeah. You know that thing you see when you're in the drive-through. All the, that, that lone little boxwood. All the, win- all the winter-killed boxwoods. <laughs> those Stella de Oro de Lilies. <laughs> yeah. We, and, we and can so, tell you have strong opinions. I, you know, that and Nandina, man. And yeah. so within within that side of things, the landscaping side, there's been maybe traditionally some plants that have risen to the top, become popular, et cetera. But there's some other ones we might suggest or consider that have this sort of like more of an eco, they play a role in the landscape and in the ecosystem. I, I just wanted to make sure everybody sure on sure. the same page. About yeah, that's definitely a, a big piece of it is what what they can do for us in these places because these places are where there can be a lot of human activity that can create issues around it. A lot of, say, carbon monoxide or activities related to industry, incomplete combustion, things like that. And those are, let's say, environmental contaminants that can cause problems for certain trees. And that's where we you know, can put together lists of landscape plants that not only tolerate those conditions, mm-hmm. but can work to alleviate them as well. 
mm. sort of this idea of the the trees being the lungs of the city mm -hmm. and being able to filter out things mm. for us. So I'm hearing landscape is not only form but also function. Then totally, yeah. And the two aren't. I realize the two aren't you know distinct of one another. I guess you could accomplish both in a well done system. I suppose. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I wish that was my senior superlative, like both form and function. Most form and function. Form. And function. Mine was similar, but mine was more most formidable and functionless. <laughs> Unlike our, our landscapes, should not be that way, by the way. No. Well, they don't have to be. It doesn't have, they can work for us, I guess. I don't know. It's way. interesting, though, you know, working with people like when you're talking about landscapes, and I don't know, Josh, you, you've written a publication I hope you talk a lot about today. Uh, it's uh, uh, an impressive publication and it deals with, you know, it seems like larger scale systems as well as some small scale elements. But I learned a long time ago when people, when you start to, to talk about them or talk about something like landscaping with folks, uh, you really have to start with, it seems like people's objectives mm -hmm. for that landscape, because, you know, we joke, you know, we said form and function and we touched on the aesthetics, but a lot of times it's that function. What do they want a landscape to do? Or right. what, do, what do they want it to be? That seems like a, that's an important aspect, I guess, Josh. Yeah, I would say that that's a, Kind of a key aspect when you're talking to people is to find out what are they willing to invest or what are they willing to avoid like the function aspect is a good way to kind of bring it up but do you want is this a an area that you want to have to spend every week mowing you know mm, or at least yeah, 22 ish weeks out of the year um, and all the kind of energy and labor costs associated with that or do you want it to be something we would consider to be a lower maintenance landscape is this an area you want to spend time in, um, relaxing or doing some kind of work? Um, or are you specifically looking for kind of alleviating noise issues? Mm -hmm. You know, traffic is one of the kind of biggest noises that one hears in the urban environment constantly. And you can use plants to block that uh, much. They're much more effective than just a sheer wall. Whereas mm -hmm. a wall will kind of create echoes and things like that. The sort of complicated surface of landscape plants has a way of deadening uh, noise pollution. Like absorbs it. Right. It's a sponge. Right. Yeah, it does so absorb it. much like rock and roll, landscape plants ain't noise pollution or can help, <laughs> can, no, can help with, sorry. Maybe yes. mitigate noise, um, mitigate rock and roll. I'm mean, sorry, noise right. pollution. Yeah, it's noise pollution. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So those, you know, kind of noise attenuation and <laughs> Josh is just back air to quality this. improvement. Yeah. He's, like, He's ignoring us. I He's didn't like, really know where to go. He says, being, <laughs> he says being in the same room with these people face to face is not a pleasurable experience. I no longer like any of yeah. this. Um, it's difficult stuff. <laughs> but back to landscape ecosystems. Um, another really key one uh, or a key service, ecosystem service that landscape plants provide for us is and this will sound complicated at first but kind of an energy conservation or i like thinking and using these terms in my head as microclimate regulation mm -hmm. right so trees like for example uh planting a deciduous tree somewhere trees that loses its leaves correct, things like yeah. a maple or an oak yeah um, trees that will lose their leaves and allow more sunlight penetration those are good for um trying to, let's say, blocking sunlight in the summertime, but still letting some through in the wintertime. Mm -hmm. Something that it, you want to think about that kind of seasonality when choosing 
what you want the tree to provide, which, you know, a large tree, even when it loses all its leaves, is still going to shade out some stuff, but it won't be as pronounced as it is in the summer. Whereas if you're looking for something to kind of block or control wind year round, then you want to, you want to go with, you know, an evergreen mm -hmm. like that and thinking about where uh, prevailing winds come from at what time of the year and what will be there what leaves will be there to kind of provide that. Our, uh, all these subdivisions would be very different places if they had planted with those types of thoughts in mind, I would say. Like Absolutely. not only is it like there's, we, we talk about that right tree, right place. We say that all the time, right? And we mostly when we say that are talking about, you know, making sure that you're putting a species in that can tolerate, you know, maybe that really heavy clay soil or extra water um, or full sun or shade or whatever. But what we don't often talk about is what you're saying, Josh, is like that right tree, right place, as in, should it be deciduous? Should it be evergreen? You know, do you mm -hmm. want it to block wind and sound for you? Or do you want it to shade your backyard so that you can go outside right. more often? Um, and maybe keep the grass shorter because of the shade. And... Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't thought of that, but the, the right tree, right place. Mm -hmm. We are almost always talking about what can we plant here that will survive and do well. Mm -hmm. Whereas this is kind of the flip side of this. What do we want to do well there, mm -hmm. right? And thinking about it from the perspective of what is the function of that tree in this yeah. place. It's the full perspective. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's not just one or the other. It should be all of yeah. that combined. I just want to take a very brief break to acknowledge that the form of beautiful trees is amazing. And that we're talking a lot about function, but we're all plant lovers here. And so if it feels a little too utilitarian and mercenary in our approach to trees, that's not what that's just, we're just taking a time out from all the hippy dippy stuff for today so that we can talk about some functional stuff. But we are all, we all gush at a, a beautiful plant, beautiful tree. Well, you can have a beautiful red bud or a dogwood or a, um, you know, ginkgo, ginkgo, you can have a beautiful tree, but also put it in the place where it's not only going to thrive, but make sure that it's shade in the backyard or something like that it's it's mold trees are so multi-purpose <laughs> but not just trees yeah. right like there's shrubs and stuff yeah that also are part of all of this right uh, the i guess i should reference this publication that i'm relying upon that was put together several years ago is uh you can look it up by the number in the university of kentucky system it's ho121 uh, ecosystem services of landscape plants a guide for consumers and communities Anyway, there's a lot of good tools in there, but something, you know, when we we're talking about the function of a tree in a place, there's a really great tool that is still working that was put together in concert with the U.S. Forest Service and Davy Tree, which is like a worker-owned arborist corporation or company that works in the eastern half of the U.S. for landscape management, but it's called uh, iTree Tools. I love iTree. Yeah. It, I'm not going to lie to you. I, Tell me about your experiences with iTree. Okay, so my experience is, is limited. And I sat in a classroom in uh, Frankfurt and was, like, trying to learn how to use this software. And, like, there are so many cool things to it. And it, one, of, one of my favorites – so I work a lot with, like, cities who are doing plantings, right? City, county plantings and trying to mitigate, like, stormwater and shading the sidewalks and, you know, all the things that you're talking about but on more mm. of a city scale and not just homeowner. And so it was fascinating to 
be like, oh, well, we could record these trees and let people know what they're doing for the local environment. Because, you know, sometimes when we're working with people, they're like, why is this tree taking up space that a car could be parking or whatever? And so you can say, oh, it's lowering the temperature by this amount, you know, by, by getting all this data in. But it was so there was so much it could do that it was overwhelming. And it was like for a normal person to use who didn't use it every single day, which I think a lot of people would be like that. uh, There was a lot that went into it. And like, if I pulled it up right now, I probably couldn't. I probably (laughs) couldn't do anything. I had to re-familiarize myself with it the other day. It's, it's, it's not, if you, if you focus on the tree part of it, like, okay, essentially this, this website, the itreetools.org, when you go there, you can put in an address, Mm -hmm. you can draw sort of the structures that you're interested in finding out about uh, energy, conservation, energy savings associated with it, and then pick a tree uh, and essentially kind of plant it and tell it what the diameter at breast height is or the circumference. Mm -hmm. And then you can have it model over the years what sort of cost savings are associated with energy conservation, stormwater runoff, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And see, and it'll, you know, basically put out a, uh, like a PDF document that'll tell you like, this is what it'll do in year one where you started, year 20 down the road, and it'll give you all the kind of cumulative data. I remember when I first discovered it, I thought it would be a great tool for someone who is doing or providing kind of landscape services Mm -hmm. as a way to articulate someone why it's important to take care of a tree mm-hmm. that is in their landscape instead of just seeing it as something that provides risk, mm-hmm. right? Nobody wants to have a tree fall on their house, but X. if you keep a tree alive, if you think of trees and landscape plants as infrastructure mm-hmm. and that, you know, require a little bit of maintenance that they can provide a lot for you. Well, and one way I wanted to use it was to save a tree from being cut down. Right, exactly. exactly. <laughs> so, so those of you who maybe want to save a tree, sometimes you got to put, uh, unfortunately, have to put a money value on things. And right. so if you can attach data, you know, and, and maybe that's money, maybe that's just, you know, that it helps places not flood, not necessarily just dollars, <laughs> yeah. but helping something not flood um, or lower temperature and therefore, you know, AC usage or something. A lot of times that catches attention when you're dealing with people who are giving you a fraction of a second to talk to them. Sure. So. Yeah. Think of it as a tool to help you advocate for the trees. That can you can be a Lorax. <laughs> yeah. You can. I Listen, I want to live my life. I want to be the Lorax. He's sassy and also saves trees. And I feel like that's who I want to be when I grow up. So just saying. You know, tools like that, it's kind of cool because it appeals to a, a person that thinks maybe differently. That's what I love about that tool. It puts an economic figure as far as when you're trying to do the pros and cons and weighing cost measures and cost cutting measures. The thing I love about that is you, you can assign numbers that, you know, with research backing over time, yes, the benefits may be amortized over a time scale that's a little bit longer, but at least you have something that shows there is a ROI, return on investment. And of course, we all know that as plant lovers. We know, you know, there's lots of return on investment for planting perennials like trees. But for someone that may not be so accustomed to that, it's a, it seems just like a great tool to put to assign members. I love that. Yeah. And in that advocacy angle, you know, it definitely talks about these are your heating and cooling savings, right? But for something like stormwater runoff, that's not something we normally think of as the mm-hmm. individual having to pay for. But if you think of trees being able to reduce stormwater runoff for their community, 
that can end up saving communities lots of money. Sure. It talks yeah. about the value of the trees. And the like soil stabilization and, um, you know, we talk about all the different angles, but that, that to me is almost like an architectural feature of a site. We talk a lot about the architectural aspects of landscaping, creating rooms and defining mm-hmm. spaces. When you have large commercial spaces, you're always trying to bring the, the size of those spaces down. Well, trees and other plant materials and landscapes can do that. I know it's not an ecosystem service, but it's kind of another feature that's related to some of the things you're talking about. And they have all these secondary benefits right. when you install these things. Um, especially in the larger commercial uh, plantings because you tend to have larger spaces and you're doing just the opposite of what homeowners sometimes want to do, which is make small spaces feel bigger. Well, in these big commercial landscapes, a lot of times our job was to make bigger spaces feel smaller. And you can do all of that with the architectural design of these spaces and you get all these benefits that you're talking about. Uh, One thing on the the stormwater runoff component, something that in hearing you talk about this before that I always it was a an eye-opening moment for me, but you're talking about the role that the canopy plays mm-hmm. in that. Can you talk a little bit more about sure. that? And you gave me the example of imagining myself walking out and shaking it. Maybe you can say <laughs> right, that, right. that was what made it came, come alive for me. Well, yeah. When it, so when it rains a lot of, essentially what you want to think of trees as a form of infrastructure and things like concrete and Channels and things like that are gray infrastructure, whereas trees are green infrastructure. And they essentially um, expand the ability of your gray infrastructure to do its job by slowing rainfall down from hitting these quick drainage points. And they do that by having this kind of varied and intense surface area that mm-hmm. catches rainwater and it doesn't hold it permanently, but it holds it for a long time. And it, it tries to channel it at a slow enough rate that it can, the plant itself can take it up and that, so that it never, you know, runs off essentially. Mm-hmm. I guess something um, related and, to that, it would not be trees, but does that kind of get into the concept of like, I know rain gardens are typically things other than trees, but is that a related concept of well, like the ecological role of plants in a landscape? Riparian uh, buffers, I think, mm-hmm, would be yeah. like that's their whole point. So. Which I know a lot of work was done in extension, uh, particularly it seems like three or four years ago we did a, a lot of work and it's continuing to be done, but like on rain gardens mm-hmm. and all the mitigation that, that that can do as far as not only slowing the rainwater, but all of the, the runoff, which I'd never considered, all of the contaminants that are in the runoff. And rain gardens are a little different because they are highly engineered with berms and and everything's at a certain slope and level to, to capture a given amount of rainwater and hold it for a given amount of time. So that, all that relates to that too, I guess. Yes. Well, yeah. and to kind of step back a little bit to the example Brett was talking about, that to kind of illustrate how much rain that trees can hold. Mm-hmm. You can't really do it with a giant tree because that would be very hard, but something where you can kind of shake the trunk. But And I don't know if you all have done this. I've done this because <laughs> I'm a bad person, but... Um, when it's recently rained um, and you're walking under a tree, you can shake the trunk and it'll dump a whole lot of water on anybody else you're walking <laughs> um, But just as a way to kind of illustrate how much water is sitting on those trees and being prevented from washing out. And that's just one small tree. Or in like kind of reverse, if it's raining, you seek shelter under a tree because less water is going to hit you, which right, means the right. tree is holding on to some of it. Yeah, the leaves are going to try to channel that to the stems or at least drop them you know, slowly within the drip line mm-hmm. and all those things like rain gardens, et cetera, they're all there to kind of slow rainwater down and to try to help it infiltrate the soil 
where it is rather than just essentially kicking the problem to the curb yeah. and letting it taking all those nutrients into the gulf. Right, right. Yeah, I just thought it was interesting because you think of trees as their root systems are soaking up water and retaining soil, which they certainly do. And you think of it as, yeah, maybe slowing it down as things. But if you if you think about, as you said, one small tree, then make that a big tree, then multiply that times a thousand trees. And suddenly that small incremental amount of water per leaf is multiplied times a huge amount of volume. And, and some of that water is just going to sit on the leaf until it evaporates off. Right. It's never even going to make it into the, uh, the stormwater collection yeah. thing. It's going to go stay in that you know water cycle outside. And so, I, yeah, I thought yeah. that was really that interesting. That concept of yeah. vertical and horizontal spaces and landscapes, yeah. that's so critical. And surface area, because yeah. I, yeah, I guess each leaf could be looked at as yeah. surface area. For you, it's important because you can shake it on people as you right. as they walk by behind you. Yeah, and they'll yeah. never see it coming. Why yeah. are you the way you are? You'd have to ask my parents, probably my sister. Uh, Nature uh, versus nurture. <laughs> I don't know. Branch shaker. <laughs> yeah, tree shaker. That that's his, that's his his alternative name is Josh Tree Shaker. Yeah. Isn't there like a Steve Miller song that talks about that? Yeah. If not, there should be. Want to taste your peaches? Let me shake, shake your tree. Your tree. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, that's who he's talking about. Yeah, obviously. He's a horticulturalist. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I've actually... I landscape horticulture. Landscape concept. music. Though. We'll talk about fruit trees at some point. We'll bring yeah. this back up. Millions of peaches. I mean, peaches for free. <laughs> <laughs> peaches and cream? Uh, yes, all the peaches. Well, there's... Josh, no, no, what I'm, no, what I mean. People, I'm no, trying I mean, to be professional. Josh is the professional here. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, I, when you had mentioned that, I had just seen a, a statistic on this page about how... Uh, mature deciduous trees, trees that lose their leaves, can intercept just a single mature tree, 500 to 700 gallons of water a year. Wow. And mature evergreen trees can intercept more than 4,000 gallons a year. Because wow. it's rainy in the wintertime sometimes. Right. And they are active in the winter. In Kentucky, it yeah. is very rainy in the wintertime. Uh, it's mostly just mud season. So, so I, I got a question. What a, in this publication that you're Alleging to have written. Um, Alleging. Just because your name's yes. on it doesn't I mean, you may mean or may, You may have a publication a in front of us. very similar to mine. Yeah. Why is it penciled in? Why is your name penciled in on it? Yeah. <laughs> in this publication you wrote, do you have, there are, there is a list of some or links to some actual species recommendations? Yes. Or there's a chart or something? Yeah. Well, before you jump into it, uh, <laughs> is this... Where, do, where does natives versus non-natives fit into this conversation? Is that part of this or not? Yes. We'll probably do a whole episode on natives and non-natives. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, well, natives definitely play a role because of what they are providing to kind of the community biodiversity, providing habitat for native insects, mm -hmm. native birds. Yeah, I was wondering things. about the habitat angle of all of this. Yeah, I'd love to hear your take on that more in a minute. Well, yes, exactly. Like natives are definitely very good or important, crucial even for providing that habitat that our built environments tend to fragment or just outright destroy habitat mm -hmm. for native species that we do want to keep around. Even if it's something that, you know, we don't think of a songbird as eating the tree or the landscape plant itself, but they eat the insect that mm -hmm. has co-evolved to eat on that plant or be around and located among that plant. And so, yeah, native plants are kind of crucial in the role of sort of preserving 
the biodiversity potential of these built do any, environments. Do any of you guys see um, see much interest in as far as landscaping and taking into account like the natural world and habitat and things like that? Do you guys get questions? Any of you guys here? Uh, do you see any of that? I, uh, I get questions. Well, I get a lot of questions. People are coming in. So my area of the state especially has a lot of people who have moved from other probably usually other states, sometimes other coastlines. And so there's a lot of other, people, other, what? other coastlines. Oh, I don't coast know why. Coast like, coast I thought you said coastlines. Coast I was like, like coast did we slip into what some geometry? Um, yeah. Maybe Sokotoa? Anyways, yes. Yeah, so they've Adjacent come, over come from California and places like that. <laughs> and so our plant life here is very different. And they come in and I'm, I'm grateful that they do. And they say, well, what do I plant? And they say, like, these are my goals. You know, usually they're not necessarily slowing water but sometimes it's shade I want to be able to sit in my backyard those kinds of things I want something to flower blah 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 and I always start them with natives and I just and because I tell them they're gonna they're much more likely to survive here so if you want this tree to live the highest likelihood of it to live then put it there and then all that feeds into Josh what you've been talking about so it's not only that you know, the caterpillar has to have this tree to complete its life cycle. And, you know, therefore the bird eats it and blah, blah, blah. But also that plant's going to live. So it's more likely to support that ecosystem. It's also more likely to break up that clay soil so that there Mm -hmm. are some places for that water to infiltrate, right? It's following those root systems and going down in there. So it is, yes, the ecosystem that way. But as the soil nerd here, I'm thinking about how water infiltrates and how much better Typically, native plants are at doing that in, in the ecosystem, unless you're bush honeysuckle, which is not native and is invasive. And it's, I guess, I mean, it, it holds up a bank. Like, it holds up a bank. <laughs> it's adaptable as hell. It's adaptable sure. as hell. So, <laughs> you guys know, side note, do you guys know the sexiest tree? Schumer oak. Bald cypress. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Been waiting on that one. You know, the sexiest bird? Bald eagle? Uh, I would say maybe a grackle. <laughs> stepped into that. I don't know. Yeah, stepped we did. We just yeah. stepped right here. Lobbing soft balls with He's the like, curve. We're going to say it. <laughs> it's like yellow too eyes. Too easy. Piercing. Too easy. <laughs> it's too easy. I don't know what a grackle looks like. I'm going to have to. It's like not really as pretty as a bald eagle. I'm Googling right now as we speak. It's a large, scary. We have, some, we have some grackles that have like posted up in the bird bath out front. And nice. they will not let even the bully blue jays can't get in. I thought you were talking like Good a fresh breakfast. Blue jays are bullies. Yeah, and he got bullied by a blue jay a couple of years oh, ago. Wow. And I went out and swole up on it and it flew away. <laughs> did you? Did you though? I did. And it was not intimidating. True story. Uh, it was like, oh. Yeah, this bird. This, this guy's got enough like, problems. It doesn't stop bullying his wife. For those of you who don't know what a grackle is and haven't Googled it yet, this bird definitely looks like it doesn't take no crap from nobody. Yeah, they got like yellow eyes. He's got their beady eyes. It's like you want some? You need something from me, it's a bro? Bird designed by Stephen King. He's definitely being basically. the mob. Definitely being the mob. Whoa. Yeah. yeah. This is a the mob. Family dispersions over here. Yeah. I mean, they call it like I see it. <laughs> it's no robin. It is. <laughs> so we were going to talk about the species list a little bit. Oh yeah. Well, there's so there's a couple of but different these, tables. These aren't all native species. Some of them are are non. Correct. Which and I I am not I am not a native purist in the landscape for what it's worth. If anybody's out there feeling bad about their 
hostas because or, some you know, of our natives are getting wiped out by insects and diseases yeah. so they're not immune but i do totally agree with they're like a lot of them are pretty tough cookies if the, they're, they're native for a reason yeah. they're native for there's a no silver bullet in any kind of ag or horticulture there's room for yeah. all right yeah it's yeah. it's biology there's never really a firm boundary anywhere yeah, there's yeah. always and it's always changing ginkgos yeah. aren't yeah. native that doesn't mean i love them any less Right. Yeah. I mean, they were once. Uh, that's the thing, right? True. The, the I mean, boundary of what timeline are we talking about? Native, what natives are, are kind of looking at a pre Columbian exchange moment. Why is that the moment we say? Mm. It's not the giant sloth moment. Not I to get too conceptual. Yeah. Why is Italian food associated with tomatoes? Mm. Right. You know? Yeah. Well, that I mean, ain't honestly, always been that way. Facts. Yeah. So to get back to these tables. But cheese. <laughs> Turning these cheese tables back to the, the table. <laughs> it has always been about cheese. Anyway, Everywhere tables. you go, it's cheese. Um, <laughs> cheese trees, yes. So yes, there are a list of tables. Uh, some are just about, here's how, here are landscape plants that have a high tolerance to certain, like, uh, for example, there's a series of tables at the beginning that there are landscape plants with a high tolerance to air quality issues. And that might be something to reference if you are near where lots of traffic goes by or something Small like that yeah city. things to be aware of but the kind of master reference table at the end of this document is one that lists you know whether or not this is a native species um, whether or not it's an approved lexington lexington tree species mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. the lexington street tree uh sort of i don't want to call it a ordinance. yeah ordinance yeah. i was going to say regime but it doesn't say <laughs> No, ordinance is good. Uh, you know, these are trees that don't create a lot of street litter and things like that. Um, so, and, you know, it's not everywhere is Lexington, but this is a If you were going to plant it in the strip between the sidewalk and the, and the road. Right. These are ones that they're like, that's pretty chill. Yeah, exactly. So it tells you whether or not it's one of those trees, whether or not it's native, what its maximum height is. And then there's a list of ecosystem services that trees can provide. And it tells you what how these species compare to others. You know, is it good for resistance to storm damage? Uh, things, things associated with being functional and easily maintained in the landscape. Because even though trees are really great at surviving for a long time, even after you do something that effectively kills them, it will <laughs> live for 10 more years. Um, but we should also remember that trees in the built environment it's kind of in a not natural environment. Typically trees are in forests where they're surrounded by all their buddies mm -hmm. and they can deal with heavy storms and winds. Whereas in the built environment, you might just have a tree alone on the landscape and that's, you know, hard for that tree. So we do have to kind of keep an eye on them and mm -hmm. try to help them. It's a very social can. tree. Okay. Yes. Likes friends. Yeah. They want to have all these associations and friends all around them to mm -hmm. deal with. I, I did some interesting reading where some of the trees, you take them out of the forest environment and basically they're much more susceptible um, yeah. to problems breaking and coming down right. just because they don't have their buddies on either side to act as a web. Right. So, yeah, it's interesting when you take them out of their system. That's that, like you guys are for me. You're my little yeah. support system. You hold yeah. me up in the world. You're, so you a, you're a little, uh, you're like a little pawpaw, and we're like some oaks and hickories and stuff. I'm a little pawpaw. You're a little understory. I'm a little understory. <laughs> you're too, you're, you know, you're not. I'm not. <laughs> I feel like I, just, if anybody's the pawpaw just, here, it's me. Yeah, wait a minute. I'm the, oh, I was going to, I was going to claim that, but I thought you said pawpaw. Sorry. I was going to claim pawpaw, but you said pawpaw. I'm so sorry. You can be a red bud, right? 
Oh, yeah. thank you. Yes, I like but that the heart too. Wants to be a little dog word. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. What is? I mean, since we're on that that kind of topic, what is either the tree you identify with or your favorite landscape plant? Ooh. Oh. oh man. It's like picking a favorite tree is like picking a favorite child. I mean, you could uh, do it, but you're not supposed to. It always stands it's, out. It's the best. It's whatever I grew up with. It's the stuff I saw. All right, Josh, you go first. You yeah, ask the question. It's yours. I usually tell people that my favorite one to recommend is the Schumer oak because it's it. awesome at everything. It's awesome at everything. But no in doubt. reality, the tree that I always get excited to see is a ginkgo. Yeah. What's the tree that's like the most humble? That would be me. The Joshua tree. <laughs> yeah, nice. I'm thinking, we, so we're going like things that are would be around Kentucky or that somebody would yeah, be in the yeah, landscape. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I if like, you want to get uh, wild and like talk about your experiences in Ohio. Yeah. You know, Ew. Mm-hmm. Why? Just kidding, Ohio. <laughs> only crossing you. that only crossing that river twice. Once to leave, once to come back. Once because <laughs> they made a wrong turn. <laughs> I uh I really like recommending the black gum, Nissa Sylvatica. She's one of my favorite. I don't know where she lands on the uh, list for ecosystem services, um, although it does provide berries and stuff for. What's the it's on here. Um, Nissa, oh. mm-hmm. Nissa Sylvatica. Good resistance to insect pests. Actually, excellent. Excellent. Uh, excellent resistance to disease problems. Mm. She's my girl. Yeah, good for storm damage resistance. Uh-huh. Uh, will grow on poorly drained soil. What a great whoop, tree. Whoop. And nice one. Will grow in hot, dry areas. Oh, so hey, girl. Not easy to transplant. That's true. Finicky. That's true. That's true. So make a commitment. I, uh, put a ring on it. Or, uh, yes. And she's got rings on beautiful it. <laughs> red fall color. So from a visual <laughs> perspective, we get pretty red fall color. Gl- nice glossy leaves. And, you know, you know, all summer long, spring, nice glossy leaves. And I don't know. I, I named my kid Nissa. I feel like that's a cool name. You or you one. did? A okay. Nessie or Nissa? One's a monster and one's a tree. Hmm. Or both. Okay. Monstrous tree. Yeah. Hmm. Monstrous tree. So Mystery, Mysterious either. I like that one. Yeah. She's a slow grower though. I don't know if that's on your list or not, but she's fairly slow growing. So you know, just keeping that in mind. We have yeah, a... it says fair. Fair, fair growing. Yeah. To be fair. To be fair. To be fair. But Max is at it like 30 feet. I like so. the mid-story yeah. trees. You know, I grew up in the hills, so I'm always, you guys have already mentioned it, the dogwoods and redbuds, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love those kind of mid-size, mid-story trees. I don't know if they're ones that are recommended. Uh, I know they're well adapted to at least the eastern part. Well, most parts of Kentucky, they're adapted. But they take a specific growing environment because they are kind of mid-story. Um, so just like you, Ray, you yeah. just have to have a specific growing environment. Yeah, yeah that's to flourish. That's oh, a, and I'm just showing up only bacon. in the spring, and the rest of the year I disappear. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. just like that. Yeah, Brett, do you have any favorites? I would say from around here, if I'm going conifer, I have a pretty, if pretty strong affinity for Virginia pine. Mm, fan, um, not white pine. <laughs> I really love white pines, but you know. Uh, riding around with extension agents who have seen uh, <laughs> caught a lot of bo- a lot of white pine bodies in their day, or not maybe not caught them, but were around when the bodies Witness. were caught. Witness the, the carcasses disposed of. If, if you if you have not heard of white pine decline, get in line. <laughs> <laughs> it's a thing. Because it's time. Look it up because it's it's a sad. So don't put don't plant any white pines in the landscape out there. Sad. But I would say Virginia pine, and then the deciduous side, I would say uh, I have a real affinity for hornbeams, mm. uh, carpinus in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, carpinus caroliniana is the American hornbeam. Uh, there's also 
uh, Carpine, like a couple of like Korean horn memes and Japanese horn memes that are really cool. But as far as stuff around here, I would say those are two of my faves. Mm, I'm yeah, big fan. It's good pick. Beaches. Oh, I love, oh, yeah. I love a beach tree. Oh, Damn. I love a beach tree. It's she, the bark and the leaves. She real oh. cute. She real the cute. The danglers. I heard somebody referring to it as like in the um, in the fall when the beach leaves are still. They're the ones that still hang on like pretty much all winter. The little golden. Mm-hmm. Uh, that it's like being in the tree in the forest with a bunch of ghosts. That was me. Oh. <laughs> what if I was like uh, some moron the other some day was saying idiot. about the somebody <laughs> said it's the most ridiculous thing Did I've you ever say heard. on the podcast too, probably. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, so, oh yeah, I'll take that back. No, I think yeah. I said, no, I think that was off podcast. But yeah, if, if you've ever wondered, if you don't know what a beach tree looks like, when you drive in, you know, past some woods or something, and every all the leaves are gone, but you see those little. Um, little understory trees and they become really big trees, yeah. but they're small and they, uh, the, all the leaves are still on. So there's this kind of white, yellow, gold mm-hmm. leaf. And they do, they look like these little ghosts that are just like, like friendly ghosts. Like, um, if you, Casper, okay. Is anybody in here seeing brave the, um, like the Disney will movie? Yes. They remind I me of willow wisps yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Disney, please don't sue us. Uh, I'm complimenting. Sorry, but they remind, Sorry, they remind me of <laughs> willow Yeah, yeah. So. Shout out to Sarah Bareilles. Beach, beach trees. <laughs> so many good trees, you all. So many good trees. They have beautiful bark too. I think somebody they do. said that. They're it's smooth. just so so pretty. Like elephants. It's all about the bark. I love maple like trees too, though. I love like I love sugar maples. I love I love Japanese maples. Yeah, you know, I like the underdogs like sycamores too. They which get a bad oh, rap. I love the yeah. sycamore bar. You mentioned bark. They're so sculptural. Yeah, and like yeah. tortured like. Yeah. Tortured. <laughs> they have a little torture. They, they look like a potential they, aspect to them. Yeah. They do. They do a lot of interest in the wintertime. Yeah. Yeah. Josh is like looking at his chart as we say all these trees, and he's like negative. Junk tree. Negative. Junk tree. Garbage. These are actually all really good trees. You all are oh, enjoying. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. American beach. That's an approved Lexington Street tree. Wow. Yeah. Good job, Lexington. Yeah. That's good. Is that Vegas Grandifolia? Yes, it oh. is. I'm so this proud guy of you. Thank you. I'm trying to. I'm trying to learn the language. He's, Not as Scottish cousin Fergus, but Fagus. As a reminder for those of you, <laughs> that's who... my cousin Fergus Grandifolia. Why? <laughs> Sorry, that's terrible. Please don't call me Mr. Grandifolia. That's my dad. Call me Fergus. <laughs> call me Fergus. <laughs> uh, as a reminder for those of you who maybe forgot, the reason we keep bringing up Lexington is because the university that we work for is in Lexington. The hub of it is. So it's very easy to access their, their goods. So, <laughs> But many, and I, I many, of, there. <laughs> and many yeah. of you, some of you might be in areas that have their own ordinances mm-hmm. and um, that kind of thing. But in general, you know, if it, going by climate zones is a good idea to, to just make sure that if you're finding something, if you're not in Kentucky and you're listening to this, there might be something similar or some of these species, you know, a lot of the ecosystem services that Josh is talking about are going to apply no matter where it is, as long as that thing will work in your, in your zone. Yeah. And I think we've touched on all the ecosystem services except for one, uh, which is probably the most nerdy mm. carbon sequestration. Hit me with it. That's on the bigger so, scale, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, trees are, trees are trees. trees sequester carbon from the environment, what? from the atmosphere. Even. Wow. Mm. I mean, essentially like half of the weight of a tree is literally carbon mm. and it's pulling that out of the environment and locking it up for depending on how long the tree lives and what is done with it at the end of its life. Is it converted into something? Is it buried or is it just turned into wood chips and allowed to kind of degrade? But 
taking a tree out, taking a tree's carbon out of the atmosphere and holding it for 100 years does have an impact on, or can be calculated as global warming potential. So that I did my master's on, I don't have to necessarily like talk about this extensively. <laughs> Thank God. But I will. <laughs> don't one, tempt him. One thing I, just, I did want to just ask, the ecosystem service concept, mm -hmm. this comes out of like ecology and ecology's efforts to communicate with other groups and, and explain things. Is that right? Am I off base there? Just the central concept of ecosystem services. Is that something that people talk about with other, other things in the world besides just landscape plants? You know, good question. I believe so. I mean, and pretty much anything can be talked about uh, as being a contributor to ecosystem services. And they are that, you know, these are services that come about from the community of plants and structures around you as to whether or not they're providing something as kind of a net benefit, mm -hmm. right? It's kind of the, like an ecosystem service being the opposite of something in the environment that is toxic, mm -hmm. right? Which is creating a drain on everybody or a cost associated with being there. Mm -hmm. Ecosystem services are things that are being done for us, for everyone and not exclusive. Okay. So yeah. we should think of all horticulture as what are the ecosystem services. Yeah. You want to it's ask like one yourself, of the aspects what do I get out of this? <laughs> <laughs> Landscape systems are so inclusive and you can look at them so many ways. This is one of the really cool lenses you can use to look at landscapes. One of the features uh, that, that's just so cool um, with these large, especially these large installations that are just so complex and have so many facets to them. So many different moving parts. It's just a really cool way to kind of view things is those benefits. And sometimes that's intended up front in the design. And sometimes you kind of conceptualize those benefits later on when you're taking stock of the environment, but really cool. Really cool. Yeah. So, so to sum us up here, I think it seems like we've talked about if you are considering doing some landscaping, if you're considering doing adding trees or shrubs or other kinds of plants to your landscape, you can consider, yes, is it the right soil type? Is it the right, is my fertility right? Is the placement in terms of sun or shade or soil moisture or those things right? But also don't forget about how within the landscape, the way that that plant is placed, the choice of plant that you use can work to serve you, serve the landscape, serve the surrounding biosphere, uh, the plants, the animals, the soil microbes, everything else. And so when you think about that, consider looking at this publication that Josh has mentioned and take a look at these different ecosystem services, these roles that a tree can play in your ecosystem of your landscape, considering things like water management, uh, wind management, sun management, pollution, all those kinds of stuff, carbon sequestration, those are all these elements that you can think about if you're trying, if you have a south facing window that gets super hot in the summertime, put a deciduous tree in front of it. If you have an area where the cold air blows through the window at night and you know makes your little toes cold <laughs> in the wintertime, consider maybe a coniferous windbreak there, something like that. Uh, conversely, if you have something that we want to soak up some water or keeps keep an area from flooding as much, you might think about selecting something with that type of uh, functionality. Uh, Josh, did I miss? Oh, yeah. And one other, I guess one other component in the city environments or places where that are a little bit more noisy, noise management, a, a sound buffer of sorts is another way that you might consider using uh, landscape plants. So 
I would say if you want to hear us talk about landscape plants and landscaping and ornamentals more, let us know. Alexis will let you know how to get in contact with us. But uh, thank you very much for listening. Thanks, Josh, for sharing all this stuff. Um, Great publication. Once again, what's the name and number on that publication? HO121 Ecosystem Services of Landscape Plants, a guide for consumers and communities. We'll put a link uh, where you guys can find that. uh, But... Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at, at @hortculturepodcast. Uh, you can definitely message us on there if that's easier. Uh, you can email any of us. All of those emails are available. Uh, and if you are curious, if you want to hear more about any of this, uh, please let us know. I could talk about perennial plants all day. Would love to. Ray could talk about landscaping. Please love it all. I could talk me. about bonsai if anybody yes. wanted that to happen. That's what we're talking about. I I personally would like for us <laughs> to do that. But anyways, we hope that as we grow this podcast, you will grow with us. Join us next week. We're going to talk about some myths of horticulture with y'all. So thank you so much. And we'll talk soon.